Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Imagine This. I'm Trent. I'm Mackenzie. And we are joined this week again by the incredible Michael Pressman. Michael, thanks for joining us again. You're more than welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, for In case anyone missed last week, could you tell us just a little bit about yourself, uh, whatever you want to say, and then we'll just dive in a little further from there. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, I am a director and I've been directing in recent, most recently, Come Get Maggie, the musical that is still playing in Los Angeles, Hollywood at the Matrix Theater, uh, Rogue Machine Theater Company, and it closes March 26th. So, you know, I don't know when we air the podcast, it may be over by then, but in any event, um, uh, I hope you've seen it. <laughs> the um, uh, but musical theater, theater is one part of my life. The other is film and television, and um, I will talk a little bit about that in today's podcast. Well, we are we're really excited to have you here, and the synchronicity between theater and television and film is, I think, one of those things that people think about and wonder about and it's clear that there's crossover right you see stars on screen and on stage all of the time but for you what came first maybe what was your original love and how did you get from one into the other maybe that would be an interesting place to start um okay so you know i grew up i i, I have i had a blessed background uh Everyone has their own problems, but that's not what this podcast is about. This is about, you know, the arts. And I grew up in an artistic family. So my father was an acting teacher and he was also a theater director and my mother was a dancer. And so, you know, I, I had an aunt who was a painter and, you know, so there was an uncle who was a musician. So it was a theater arts family from the beginning. Now, I went into my parents' business. My older brother became a lawyer and my younger brother went in many different directions. So uh, 
it's not just that I was um, born to be in this profession, but I took to it like a a, 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 a baby to bathwater. It was it was something I loved from the very beginning, going to see shows at an early age. So I fell in love with theater and found myself acting, went to an acting workshop. Now, I also will throw in something a little, which is my wife, who is, uh, we knew each other as children. We acted in plays together. Wow. She wanted to be a, a theater-trained actress. And then we had separate lives, and she was in other marriages, and so was I. And we reconnected seven years ago, and we got married five years ago. Congratulations. So, I know. So oh. it's a what? I love that. I know it's kind of wild. It's kind of wild, and uh, we so so we're we're newlyweds, and um, she has grandchildren and children, and I have a twenty four year old son, and we're 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 enjoying our lives, but we love theater and film. And uh, her name is Maya Danzinger, and she had a big career, and then she started teaching meditation and writing and she's a writer and so it's we live that life and that's why when i said earlier for me theater is my church i'm not a terribly religious person but theater is where i can be connected to the life force to art to uh meaningful experiences whether it makes you laugh or makes you cry it's it's what fuels me but I also had that same feelings about film. And so in addition to acting as a child, and I was in several productions, stock productions, I never ended up on Broadway as a child actor and never ended up on television and anything like that. Um, I went to Carnegie Mellon for theater. And it was a wonderful couple of years but I had also been making little movies with my father's old camera and I wanted to make film. So I got into Cal Arts Film School the first year that the school opened in 1970. And I studied with a brilliant uh, director named Alexander McKendrick, who was sort of my uh, you know, mentor in, in learning about film directing. And with, boy, after, odd jobs and graduating from film school and, and struggling to get a job here and a job there. And I worked as a reader and went through this whole process in the seventies. I had a friend, another director who introduced me to Roger Corman, who was making low budget feature films and getting, giving first time directors their break. This was in the 1970s. So he'd make a, $200,000 movie, it would be a drive-in, it would be a, called an exploitation movie, there'd be uh, violence, there'd be a little sex or whatever, and, you know, Martin Scorsese got started there, Francis Coppola got started there, and I was fortunate enough to get a movie there, which I spent a couple of years on working on a script with friends, we put it together, and what this movie, it was called The Great Texas Dynamite Chase, and who knew what was going to happen? We got this movie made. But what I will say is it had humor. And it was really had style. And this was something that was not normally 
in these kinds of movies. So in that respect, the film stood out a little. And as a result of that, I got an agent. And then all of a sudden, after another year, by the way, I made $5,000 directing that movie. And I was living in a place for $200 a month. And my wife at the time was working at a bookstore or a record shop, exactly, to be, if you remember those, she was working at a record store. And uh, I was trying to write a script and nothing was happening. But one day, must have been six months after the great Texas Dynamite Chase, I got a phone call from an executive at a studio who said, I just saw your movie. And would you come in through, this was through my agent, and meet on the possibility of doing a sequel to The Bad News Bears? And I went, I mean, I'm 26 years old. And this was a moment in Hollywood where doors flew open for the new Steven Spielberg. I think Jaws had already come out and been a hit and he was 24 years old. And it was kind of like lots of people got their breaks and many people fell to the wayside. And I think when I got that opportunity, it was like, who? maybe I'm the next superstar. Uh, I did very, very well, but I was not a household name and I'm still not that, but that's okay. What happened was I got this job. I made the Bad News Bears and Breaking Training. It was a $3 million movie. Went out, it was a big hit. And now I had projects being thrown my way. Feature films, I'm 27. Uh, it's all happening too fast. But I make some interesting films and they're not necessarily our commercial hits, but I got to make a film about summer stock theater called Those Lips, Those Eyes that starred Frank Langella. And then I directed a movie with Richard Pryor. And I directed six films by the time I was 32 years old. Dr. Detroit with Dan Aykroyd. But what had happened was I felt, and now I'm sort of going to get in the personal part of it, I felt I had lost my way. I felt that these films were not blockbuster hits and therefore... I was feeling like I was missing something. And I think in some respects, this all happened backwards way too early. I wished I had been doing smaller projects, but when you get put onto that treadmill or that train, you try to ride it as long as you can. But the bottom fell out. And I remember at 32, I didn't work for two years. But that's when I went back to acting class. And that's when I started directing theater in Los Angeles. Mm. And I directed to Jillian on her 37th birthday, which was a play that was done in Los Angeles, ended up. And this is where, you know, there's a bigger point here, but I'll get to the specifics and I'll get the bigger point. Um, Synchronicity was a studio executive went to see Jillian on her 37th birthday. His name was Jeff Sagansky. He loved it. He bought it for Holly, for the movie studios. Now, I was not on the list to direct that movie. And that movie sat around for 10 years, that script. We'll get back to that in a minute. But I started directing in television. And the point I was going to make, the bigger picture is 
you never know where anything is going to lead you. You never know what tomorrow is going to bring. I don't know who's listening to this. I don't know if someone's going to get excited by what I'm saying. I'm meeting the two of you. Who knows where you're all going to be? Who, you know, you're, you're interesting to me. That's the way I look at life. I always say, I have no idea what this will result in, which has been the blessing and curse of my career because I don't think about career. That's sort of not where I focus. It's, I, I kind of want to do what turns me on. And what happened was I read a script and it was called The Pilot to Picket Fences. And I met this young writer and his name was David Kelly. And I interviewed for the job and we really hit it off and I didn't get it. I was like, oh, really? I was really upset. Well, six months later, he calls me again and says, you know, we had such a great meeting. The pilot for the TV series has sold. Would you interest, be interested in being a co-exec producer on it and sort of run the show? I had never in a million years thought I would do that. And I went, yes. How could you say no? He had never done a series before of his own. I had never done it before. It was a perfect match. We, to this day, are still good friends. And from that, my whole career just exploded from like Emmys and winning awards. And the show was considered one of the better shows on television. And it ran for four years. And all of a sudden, in the middle of that, it turns out that Jeff Sikansky, who saw Tajillion, the play I directed, was now the head of CBS in charge of picket fences. But he leaves CBS and he goes now to be the head of Sony. But he's a really nice guy. And I call him and I say, do you remember to Jillian? And he goes, are you kidding? My name, my daughter, Jillian. And I said, <laughs> I've given this, wow. the original play to David Kelly. He'll write the script. I'll make the movie. And he goes, I'll call you back in, in 10 minutes. And he calls me back in 10 and he says, can you make this for $10 million? And I said, yes. And he goes, you got a deal. Now, it doesn't happen that way. But that took 10 years for that to happen. And we got to make that movie. And then um, I went back into television movies and then I got to direct the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Secret of the Ooze craziest choice ever you know why they called me because I had done Bad News Bear sequel which was one of the few hits of a sequel and the producer um, the Ninja Turtles was a producer that I'd worked with on television movies so these things kept going like this um, and then I make the Frankie and Johnny film because I do the play of Frankie and Johnny and the Clear Balloon and it's all in this movie. And I'm constantly going back and forth from theater and from film. And then we move to New York and I get a job. And, you know, by the way, we're talking big highs and big lows. If I were to write my memoir, it's called Big Successes, Big Failures because that's a life and that's a career. Uh, you can't have one without the other. They just do not exist, you know. Um, you can hide your failures, 
or you could be proud of them because you learned something from them. But I went to New York and I got to direct Law and Order. And there's Essa Patha Murkison, great actress. And she's the, the Lieutenant uh, Van Buren on that series. And she's great. We hit it off. I literally spoke to her today. Today I called her. I hadn't talked to her in a couple of months. And we we're going to connect this weekend. Love her to death. Anyway, uh, I have always loved Come Back Little Sheba. So I've inquired about the rights. Turned out it was available. I optioned it. I mentioned it to her. She said, I love it. I'll do it. We go make a long story short through another connection. I get a production done at the Kurt Douglas Theater at the Center Theater Group in Los Angeles. Now I'm going back to Los Angeles to come back Little Sheba. And a spot opens with the Manhattan Theater Club. They've lost a play and they fly out. They see this production and they take this to New York. And I get to have my Broadway debut about 15 years ago. This lighting designer who I was very fond of and we, we, were, we had a great time together says to me, you know, it doesn't happen this way. And I said, well, I, you know, and boy, was she right, because I haven't been back on Broadway since. But because I've had many projects fall through, and that's the name of the game. And eventually something else will happen. But the hardest thing is to let go of expectation. You know, and by the way, Easier said than done. Easier said than done. Have I not dreamed, oh, this would be phenomenal or that would be a monster hit or this is going to change my life. I do it all the time. And I have to keep reminding myself to let go of expectation. I suppose it's got a little bit of a Buddhist influence of which I, I give a lot of credit to my wife for that. But you got to just let it be where it is and who knows where it's what'll take you so if i were to sum this up in terms of trying to capsulize my life and my career there are several things that are important one was sure i had dreams and i have dreams and i try to make those dreams a reality um that's number one Number two, the experience, the process, to me, is more important than the outcome. I love the process. Um, it, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly lucky and blessed to be playing in a very public arena, but you know, who knows, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, if someone said, hey, do you want to run a university theater department or a film school? I mean, I might have done that and been very happy directing in a, in a, in, in a university situation. Um, I am not, I suppose, having had all these opportunities has taken the fantasy away of if I could only direct a Broadway play, if I could only direct a musical, if I could only have a successful this or a successful that, 
I've had it. I've had failures. I've been on TV shows that didn't work. I've directed pilots that never sold. I've directed some pilots that have sold. Um, the it, it's it's a life, and that's that's one of the great titles of uh, Eli Kazan's autobiography, a life. Um, but uh, and then I finally ended with you know just keep on trucking, keep on doing what you want to do. And sure, there are obstacles. And, uh, you know, the, the other analogy, and I've sort of felt this way, I have a great love for sailing. That's my other big thing. I love to sail. I've always sailed when I was a kid. I have a sailboat. We have a place in Maine. I like to sail. And sail's a sailing's a metaphor for life. Sometimes you can't go in the direction that the wind is coming from. You've got to go opposite directions. You've got to tack. You've got to get different ways to get where you want to go. So with that metaphor is the metaphor of working in the arts, which is if you really want to get somewhere specific, you may not have the path may not be the path that you have chosen because circumstances or the winds or whatever it is are coming from a different direction. But eventually you'll get there if you make it clear that that's where you want to go. You know, if you are, for example, wanting to make, uh, you know, want to do a, a big musical on Broadway and that's your dream, well, nothing's wrong with practicing in other places, but at some point you want to find that piece of material that you can attach yourself to with the people you're working with, that you make sure you're contractually protected and you you know, make sure that you're a part of this process that goes from one place to another, or you build up your own uh, career. I mean, I'm going to digress for one little, another little anecdote, which sort of illuminates the whole picture. I'm directing this little Roger Corman movie, The Great Texas Dynamite Chase, and we've had a lot of actors in it who were unknown. And now that was 1975. Now, 2008, or roughly that, no, maybe, yeah, 2000, and, is it, yeah, 2000, no, 2003 and five, roughly there, I'm directing Come Back Little Sheba, but the Manhattan Theater Club has to approve me as director. So I have to speak to the artistic director of the Manhattan Theater Club. And it turns out that Lynn Meadow is on sabbatical. So Daniel Sullivan, the big theater director who had made his career working at Seattle Rep, and now he's probably the numero uno director on Broadway, has to approve me. But what no, so I have to have a phone call with Dan Sullivan. But what nobody knows is that Dan Sullivan was a struggling young actor, and he had a small part in The Great Texas Dynamite Chase. <laughs> I hadn't seen him in since 30 years. Wow. So gets on the phone and it's like, Michael, it's Dan. I went, Dan, how are you? He said, he said, oh my God, what a great career you've had. And I went, me, look at you. You're like the number one director on Broadway. And he said, oh, please. You know, I said, he said, but with all the movies and talk, I know anyway, we chat for 10 minutes. He says, well, anyway, listen, welcome aboard. Can't wait to see you. Bye. Now, 
how, how, you know, how do you explain that? So life has a very, very funny way of, of surprising you and you never know where it's going to come from. But the final point, and I think I was, is um, getting back to the idea of the process and enjoying yourself. I had a great time with Dan Sullivan. I remember exactly what he did. When the opening night of Come Back to Sheba, I gave him a DVD of the movie. He had never seen it. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I enjoy myself. And I think that's really sort of important, you know? mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's my story. Any, um, let's leave it up for questions here, if you've got them. Um, I, I think there's so much wisdom to be gleaned in the story that you've told. And I think that a lot of what you describe feels in some ways contrary to popular advice, but in, in good kinds of ways. Because I think that when you frame it in terms of enjoying the process and standing by your failures and being willing to change directions even while keeping that dream in mind that it takes a lot of the pressure off that people tend to feel. Yes. And yes. It's like, it's so that people are feeling like I got to make it or it's over. And that's, that's a hard way to live. And it, I don't I, think that it tends to end in the success that people hope for, because I think that's how you burn out. I agree. So, and, and I will say, I, I mean, I, I, I was always very careful and have had my own moments of feeling like I'm burning out, but I, I, I recalibrate and I step away and go, I need a break, you know, because things can get very heady and very confusing and, you know, I'm speaking, sort of looking back, you know, I, I don't know what I would be telling you 30 years ago, you know, but I, but I do think I've, I've stayed the same person. And that's you know? valuable as well to maintain your own personhood in an industry that whether intentional or not, often tries to strip some of that away. Totally. Totally. I, that's one of the reasons why, 
I left Los Angeles uh, at a high point of my television career and went to New York and then ended up directing some theater because uh, I felt like I was losing my way in a, in a town where you can get very, very um, seduced by the externals. And what's interesting is going back to LA, I kind of feel like I've gone back for the best part of Los Angeles, which is uh, friendships and small theater. So both on the last podcast episode and today, you've talked about some of the importance of failure. You mentioned one of your favorite quotes that, you know, you you learn from these failures. That's that, in fact, sometimes where you learn the most is when you fail. Right. What is an example of that that you can point to where something didn't go how you thought it would, but you ended up learning something really valuable as a result? What's an example of that in your own life and career? Hmm. Um, the, the, it, well, a, a, a couple of them and, 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 you know, I, um, I'm going to step away from that and put it in a slightly different light. And then I'll talk about them, which is I've also not necessarily separated the failures from the successes mm. because I think I've learned in each situation. So Take, for example, I got to direct a movie called Boulevard Nights, which was about East Los Angeles Chicano gangs. And we got controversial reviews. The movie was dismissed. It was pulled from the theaters because there was some gang violence. It disappeared. And um, it was really devastating. And then I got to direct because I was still kind of in in the in the in the in the up and coming promise. They got to direct this movie, Those Lips, Those Eyes, which I loved about summer stock theater. But that was also very very mixed reviews and failed miserably at the box office. And um, I had felt like you know I would never be able to get a job again. And this was a two years back to back on two movies that literally were dismissed. Um, what was interesting was, I think about six or seven years ago, Boulevard Nights got chosen by the Library of Congress to be one of the 20 films that year to be in the the Library of Congress. And it was, it's a big award and the film sort of had a resurgence. And I got my wife and I went to see the movie and I hadn't seen it in about 20 years. And I was so surprised at how actually good it was with problems, but it was like, it had been so dismissed. So it's hard to know, you know, it's not like I have felt like I've ever done bad work. Mm. What I feel is that sometimes the the material doesn't connect with the audience. And I think that also happened with Dr. Detroit, which was a farcical comedy that just, I had a very clear idea of what I wanted to do. And I think the material did not hold up. And I can see that honestly. Uh, but 
I've loved the failures as well as the successes. I don't discriminate, but I can say that um, it's it, it's a tough it's tough when your film or your theater project gets dismissed, and you get let's say like with Come Get Maggie, we've had rave reviews for Come Get Maggie, but we've had one very bad review from the Los Angeles Times. And that hurt. It hurt the writer very much. It hurt me a little, but I think it hurt the theater company. And I think I can look back and see how could it, why did that review occur? And you think about it. And I think we were feeling a little too cocky, a little too confident that we had the greatest thing. And you you have to be careful how you present stuff. Um, the... I will say without mentioning names that after making a particular film, I felt like my work, I hadn't communicated with actors well enough. That that was a very key thing to directing. And that's when I went back and studied with Bobby Lewis mm. for two years. And that's when I started to do theater. Because once you take away a camera and you take away the tricks of editing and all that stuff, it's you and the actor. And my work started to grow. And then I started to do television movies. And that's where I met Angela Lansbury. And that's where I got to direct all these TV films. And some of them were not good. Some of them were. Because sometimes the scripts weren't good. And sometimes I wasn't pleased with the casting. But I began to learn over... This is I, this is what I said about television movies. I went back to school. I kept seeing, learning over and over again yikes, the mistake I made here was I agreed to that piece of casting. It didn't work for the film. But it wasn't do or die because it was all just about one night and that was it. And then pilots got even really hard because it was all about casting. You know, if you don't cast a pilot correctly, sometimes the show doesn't sell. Um, but it was uh, a lot of trial and error. And I just began to keep learning the more I did the work and relied less on this was a failure, that was a success. I label it because it's a way to get into the fact that you can't have big highs without lows. You just can't. And the lows make you, if, you, if you're strong enough, you can look at it and go, okay, what was wrong here? What was different? Did I miss something? Did... Did I miss something in the material? Did I miss something in the casting? Did I miss something in the concept? You know, um, but the hardest thing to do, the single hardest thing to do is to not let it uh, prevent you from keep working. That you can certainly feel like it's your fault. And actually it's no one's fault but it is important to look at what happened. Um, sometimes when I've had successes, like with Picket Fences or directing the pilot to Chicago Hope, which went on to be a big success with Mandy Patinkin and Adam Arkin, and it was, uh, it, it was a great script and it was a great cast. And... Um, it, it magic happened and it was it, it we caught the imagination of the public 
Um, then I did a, um, a, another pilot that David and Kelly and I worked on called The Brotherhood of Poland, New Hampshire. Died a painful death after like six episodes. But it was interesting. It, there, was, there was some miscalculations in the concept. And the work I thought was pretty terrific, but it didn't matter. And that's the other thing I've learned. You know, the concept, the ideas, the the what you want to say with something is a very important part of the process, you know. Um, anyway, um, that's so that's pretty much it. I mean, I I I uh, I embrace all the work I do and, um, you know, I, it's hard for me to think about, oh, and this was a terrible experience. No, they're, they're all good experiences, good and bad. They're all good. Well, and I think that's an excellent distinction that you make. And I I think that your point about enjoying the process is key to that distinction. Because if you love the work you're doing, however it's received, it's it's easier to categorize them all the same as simply this is your body of work and maybe some of them weren't received by the audiences they were intended to be and you know there's a variety of reasons things don't get off the ground but you can still be proud of the process that you underwent to create all of those things right right i i think um you know you when when you have something that clicks and and i think at some point in one's work, that's an important moment to have. There's no doubt about it. You know, if you, um, uh, I never really felt that in the theater until I directed Come Back Little Sheba, uh, where all of a sudden, and, and you know why? Because we had two productions, LA and New York, and I got to direct it twice with pretty much the same cast. So we dug really deep and uh, we, I was remembering when we did the production in LA and it was like picked up to go to New York and it was like, you've got another four week of rehearsal. And I thought, what are we gonna do? And then I realized, wow, we did a lot. That, that play felt to an audience and to the reviewers, thank God they got it, was that it was lived, that it wasn't acted. Mm. All of a sudden people were living in the worlds they were in and I, again, an intangible component, um, you know, an intangible component. Uh, Mackenzie, I want to let you ask a question that you might have. I got to ask one of mine. Go ahead, Mackenzie. Okay, so you talked like a lot about um, your journey into this industry and like how your journey like really began. Do you have any like advice for people who want to start careers in the arts? Like what would you tell a younger version of yourself when you were just getting started? Okay. Um, did you, in the, in the theater? Yeah, or yeah. film, all of it, you know, just performing. <laughs> you know, it's so funny that you mentioned that. Um, I, I have one little regret. I remember when I got out of film school and I was floundering and I applied to a production assistant job at the Center Theater Group in Los Angeles. And at the same time, I got a job working 
for $150 a week at uh, Hanna-Barbera animated cartoons. But I got a call from the Center Theater Group and they said I had been accepted to be a production assistant in the theater. But they were giving a stipend of like, I don't know, $100 a week. And I was making $175 a week at Hanna-Barbera. And I just took that job. And I, if I had to do over, I would have left Hanna-Barbera and gone over to the Center Theater Group. And I didn't. So in a sense, you have these moments when you, you know, I was given two scripts, one called Some Kind of Hero with Richard Pryor. The other one was Officer and a Gentleman. And I didn't do Officer and a Gentleman. I wished I had. Um, life has a way of leading you and you don't know sometimes what to do. But my feeling is uh, if it's about the theater, get involved in any way you can with some company that you admire and it doesn't have to be mainstream you know it you you the two of you are you both living in uh, Houston is it where is that where you are or no so i'm in waco and mckenzie is actually currently in london oh my god you're in london yeah so what are you doing in london um i'm in grad school right now for shakespeare oh boy see that's great <laughs> you're, and you're in Waco. Yes, sir. And is the theater company in Waco or is it? Yes. Wow. I, and how long has the theater company been going? I started it about two years ago. Isn't that great? So you're the artistic head of the company. Yes. Wow. And how do you two know each other? So McKinsey came to Baylor University. And so while she was in Waco, she and I worked together on several projects. Um, and at, when she graduated, I immediately told her that she had to be part of my creative team. And we've just kept in touch. And she helps with a lot of the creative decision making. And she's integral to having this podcast started at all. Um, so, you've, I mean, that's the beauty of when we live, right? I mean, we're in an totally. age where like we're living say, across the globe and can actually right. be collaborators. And so that, that's that's what's exciting about the now, I think. I agree. I agree. I was almost going to say exactly the same thing. So that's now. You are living uh, the, the making of a reality. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? You're in London studying Shakespeare and, 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 is it Trent? Yes. And Trent is artistic head of a theater company. You know, I'm. I, I was directing Doctor Detroit, and I'm 32 years old, and it's this big Dan Aykroyd musical kind of crazy comedy, and I'm doing a scene, and there's this young actress, and uh, she's very very good, but she has this one little scene, and. Um, her name will come to me in a minute. Uh, she became famous, but she's no longer with us. Um, and she was saying, oh, you know, my husband started a theater in Chicago and, and uh, you know, it's kind of hard and struggling. And I'm thinking to myself at the time, you know, what did I know? I'm 32 and I'm making movies in Hollywood. And, 
I'm thinking, God, that must be really rough starting a theater company in Chicago. It's so cold and who knows what's going on. Well, her husband was John Malkovich and they had started Steppenwolf. Little, oh did I know, little did I know who she was talking about, only to find out years later that that company is still thriving and still happens. So it's about the work. It's about your passion. Um, you know, and 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 about making dreams a reality. So this is a reality right now. You're studying Shakespeare in London. Couldn't be a better place to do it. And I'm sure you're seeing everything and you'll bring all that back with you to Waco. And um, this has just started. And, you know, I think for you guys right now, if you were to say, okay, so uh, how could I advise in a very particularly practical way. Well, obviously there's two things. One is I use doing classics or originals or both, or are you just starting and doing workshops? What What's the status of the theater company? So we have primarily been doing original and contemporary work. This coming year, we're shifting entirely to new work. So we'll be doing premieres and workshops exclusively. Great. Great, because that's that's where something can emerge. That's where something that, you know, all of a sudden it will be something that you least expect that can pop from that and that all of a sudden can travel and you started it there and then you become in two years, five years, 10 years, I don't know, a, a go-to place. You know, who knows? Who knows where it all leads? But the idea that you're in fertile ground and that you are a team and that you're being a, that you're a part of a team, I will tell you, looking back, I could never have made the Roger Corman movie if I didn't bring together six or seven friends from film school that all had different jobs that we all did together. And another friend, from childhood and introduced me to that. It was all about the people I was working with as from school. It's interesting. So if it's not from school, it's from some job you get working like, you know, being a production assistant on a TV series, somehow getting to be a PA and getting to know people and uh, or working at a small theater in Los Angeles and getting to know people there or whatever you know, if you want to be a writer, of course, what the, the answer to that is you got to be alone and you got to write. But I think in today's world, it's about collaboration. It's about finding partners and, and, and building a team, building your team. And I think that's what you're both doing. I think that's, that's, you're, you're the prime example of what's going on today. You know what I mean? Because you're the future. Is that helpful? It is. It is inspiring and helpful, I think. Um, is there is there anything that you want to add before we close? I think that you've been a wealth of information and wisdom. And I think that this call to action that you've just given is so simple and yet so important, surrounding yourself with like-minded people with different skill sets, but they can like wrap around a common goal of really yes. doing the work and seeing yes. what comes of it. 
Yes, and 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 taking what we've talked about about uh, articulating a vision, uh, sharing that vision with everybody. It's a team effort. There has to be a captain. There has to be a leader. There, you know, I think Trent, that's what you're doing. But at the same time, you've got, you know, I'm I'm looking at the team right now. You know, you and Mackenzie, and I'm sure there are others, and that's, and you build the team, and you build the team, and um, uh, and don't build it too fast. Mm. That's I've seen that happen sometimes, um, but 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 be wise and be adventurous and take risks and um, enjoy it in the process, both the ups and the downs, you know, you, you know, you, you could do some big one and fall flat in your face and go, okay, let's pick ourselves up. What did we miss? What are we going to do? And, and, and don't let that stop you from being, uh, you know, uh, adventurous because, um, you never know. You never know. You know, you you could look and say, you know what the problem is? We've got the wrong audience. Maybe we're not playing to the right audience. Maybe something, maybe this this insulted this audience, whereas another audience would love it somewhere else. Maybe we can take this play we just did. Let's see if we can move it somewhere else because I believe in it. And I think it was misjudged here. I mean, those things happen. I mean, mm. so much can happen in that way, you know? Um, but I think that uh, it's been a real, uh, it's, you've been inspiring to me, both of you. Well, you thank know? you. I, the inspiration yeah. is certainly mutual. Um, it has been, it's been such a pleasure, Michael. Do you want to tell people where they can find more about you or your work if they so chose? Yeah, I, you know what? I do have the website, michael-pressman.com, and uh, it's pretty comprehensive. I spent over a year on it with a wonderful designer and it's a very homey kind of website and you can follow different aspects and I'll be continuing to work on it. And um, just IMD me, DB me and check out some work, you know, see whatever the television shows or the movies and whatever you can find. But uh, this has been a pleasure. And Mackenzie, tell people where they can find out more about us as well. Please. Yeah, you can find us on Instagram at Imagine This Theater Pod, Theater with an R E, or at Wild Imagining Swaco, wildimaginingswaco.com, or through our wonderful producers, Rogue Media Networks. And, you know, thank you for joining us for another episode of Michael's fantastic knowledge and life and willingness to share with all of us about it. Um, this is Trent and Mackenzie, and we are just thrilled that you continue to join us week after week. Thank you for being here to imagine this. And thank you both for, for including me and, uh, and sharing this journey with you. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.